Welcome to the Bringing the Human Back to Human Resources podcast. I'm Tracy Chernoff, and I've spent my entire professional career in HR. Each week, we'll explore the delicate balance between people and business with the aim to reconnect the two and create meaningful outcomes. Listen in as I share my own experiences, challenge the status quo, and chat with guests from various industries about our mission to bring the human back to human resources. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here for another week. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe whether you're listening to the podcast or watching it. And I have to be honest, this is the third time that I've done this intro because I've had so many technical issues. Um, So I hope that I sound like my usual self, but if I don't, that's why. Um, But nevertheless, I'm really excited for this week's guest because he is a colleague of the cause, which is a term that he coined in the first a mistake that I made with the intro. And now I'm excited to introduce him again, the third time for this recording, but obviously the first time for you. David is the head of procurement at Logitech, one of the world's leading manufacturers of computer peripherals and software, and probably a company that you've heard of before and that you are actively using in your day to day. They have 8,200, more than 8,200 employees, over $4 billion in assets, and did $5.32 billion in revenue over the past year. David's main priority as a procurement leader is to ensure Logitech and the wider corporate sector can deliver real progress toward equality via their supplier spend, which is a core value for Logitech and a personal passion for him. Currently, only 6.1% of the trillions of dollars spent annually by U.S. corporations go to black, women, and underrepresented suppliers, despite our best efforts to increase supplier diversity. Logitech has partnered with GenderFair to launch the Coalition for GenderFair Procurement with the simple aim of leveraging the multi-trillion dollar spending power of corporate procurement as a lever to provoke urgently needed progress toward gender equality. David has worked at Logitech for over 10 years and has previously held management roles in finance at the company. David, again, thank you so much for joining the podcast. As you mentioned, we are colleagues of the cause, and I'm just really excited to have you on the podcast this week. Thank you, Tracy. That's a real pleasure to be here, uh, even third time round. Uh, really <laughs> pleased to be here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Excited for our of course. podcast. Of course, of course. You can come around for a fourth time too, but hopefully we don't have to do a fourth take of this intro. Luckily, we were only two minutes in, so it's pretty easy to replicate the magic that was happening before I had to stop recording. Um, One of the things that I really want to preface here, and I know that we talked about it before I hit record the first time, which is that I've said on the podcast before that one of the best ways that we can, as consumers, influence business and the way that businesses make their decisions is by using the one piece of leverage that we have, which is our wallet. And that through our consumerism and the way and our consumer behaviors, we can influence business decisions. And the same goes for what we've seen with employee demand and how employees have changed the the pace and the scope of business decisions throughout COVID and today. So can you walk us through where this all started for you and how I, cause I know that there is a, a magical story there about how this became a passion of yours. Sure. So I, I'll start with some high level context around this, Tracy, that, that will then lead into kind of my own personal angle a little bit, I think really. And then, mm-hmm. and then sort of finish off to directly answer your question about, about how can we really make a difference here? How can we make large companies move? So I think, first of all, the context, the uh, UN Sustainable Development Goals were created in 2015 
Um, they set targets for 2030. Now, that felt quite a long time away at the time. Um, mm-hmm. And these were really bold goals that for the next 15 mm-hmm. years, we really need to make big changes. Um, remove gender inequality by 2030. Ensure inclusive and economic ensure inclusive economic growth by 2030 and many many others really bold goals and now we're sat here in 2023 over halfway through that kind of 15 year uh time period and we're actually on target to miss a lot of those sdg goals um the time to act bold action really fast bold action is now even on gender equality specifically the world economic forum research recently suggests that we're over 100 years away from achieving gender equality, wow. even though the SDG goal is only seven years away. Uh, there's not a wow. single country that, that has yet achieved gender equality. So, so I think, you know, in brief, as a context, there's a lot that needs to be done. And, and where this can really impact large corporations is large corporations are uniquely positioned to do something about this with, with their brand, their global sort of societal resonance, frankly, their scale, like, they employ millions of people across the globe, have trillions of dollars of revenue. How can we as consumers or we as society make them move or, or how can we make them want to move? And so I think that's some sort of context around it. A person level for me is that working in procurement, um, it could be all too easy for me, I think, to fall into a trap of thinking procurement is about effectiveness and supply relationships and and savings i could easily be thinking what what am i actually even doing in in my career for impact to society i'm saving money for a big company and and on one level that's true and i think sometimes i'll be thinking i could at least go and do that for like a struggling ngo somewhere um but i think the way the way that i rationalize that is if you can orchestrate these large corporations to move on all those topics i just went through whether that be internally at your own company or externally at others if you can do that in your role, and I try and do that in my role, the impact I can have towards these really important goals is far more in this current hot seat physically and virtually I sit in around procurement at Logitech. I can have way more impact towards these causes there than, than I could if I woke up one morning thinking, do you know what I should be doing? I should be working for a struggling NGO. That would be really great and rewarding, but there is so much impact that can be done in, in, in large corporations. So, so how do we make the move and, and, and what's sort of going on in that space? I think we're at a really interesting time around this that I was reading some research only recently, Tracy, from the Edelman a Trust Barometer. It's been around for a few years and, and it really assesses where does society see trust and see where action needs to come from around some of these really important topics for environment and society. And, and the interesting finding from that is that actually corporations are the most trusted source of, of action around this more than governments, certainly more than the media, which isn't surprising, but but even more than NGOs, actually, that society wow. trust that corporations will act on this. Um, I think when you, when you also look at, at millennials and, and Gen Zs, millennials are entering leadership positions now, Gen Zs are entering the workforce. They're both really important consu- uh, consumer um, generations that corporations need, need, to, need to make sure that they're, they're aiming towards they really are following through actions after their words around, we don't want to work for a company unless it's really driving forward some of these, some of these aims. We're certainly not going to buy products from some of these companies that, that are driving forward these aims. So, so I think to summarise all that, really, like I say, corporations have a huge potential to make an impact to wide, wider society. Um, we're at a really exciting time that wider society expects and trusts, open, close quotes, trusts that they're going to act um, and do so authentically. 
And I think we'll even reward them for doing so. So I think that, that that's the sort of magic place we're in now. I think that the mm. stakeholder capitalism, capitalism, they're all kind of merging into one. Society is telling large corporations, we want you to act on these causes. And if we do, it'll actually be in the interest of your of your bottom line too. We will support you as a business. Um, and that's really exciting because I think that's that's a really rich climate for, for decisive action because, like I said at the top, boy, do we need it because we're, we're seven years away from the SDG goals and, and we're not going to hit many of them. And gender equality particularly, we're miles off. So, so I think mm. there's cause for optimism with all of what I've just said, really, hopefully, Tracy. I, I agree. I totally agree. You know, it's interesting because in my master's program, which I completed in 2020, um, we learned a lot about, or we talked a lot about, maybe it's less learning, more discussion-based, equality versus equity. And that equity can create more opportunities versus equality because equality can, at some level, like, it's like, how do you measure equality versus like how do you, measuring equity like enables like a more quantitative approach? I, I'm very loosely translating this, but there is a, a pretty significant difference between equity and equality because equity is about like equal access to opportunity, I guess, you know, just in summation, whereas equality is saying that all involved are treated the same in essence. Again, is there a difference when it comes to what you do, um, you know, in terms of like driving gender equality, you know, equality across the supply chain, is there a reason why it's equality versus equity or is it kind of just all used within the same breath in the same way? Yeah. Now, you know, that's a really interesting point, isn't it, Tracy? And, and I'm a procurement guy. I'm actually even an imposter in procurement. I come from a finance background. So I'm a finance guy that came into procurement. I, I was sort of rapidly doing learning and quick, and quick revision on, on a lot of these topics. And and a really, really nice visual I saw that described the difference really nicely that I'm sure a lot of your listeners have seen too, was, was the idea of a fence that only the tallest person could look over and then there was another couple of shorter people. Um, and the idea was, okay, well, let's give everyone a stool. That, that's equality, right? We'll give everyone the same mm -hmm. size tool, a stool. That meant that the second tallest person could look over, but still not the, uh, the shortest person. And then it said, well, equity is giving them equal access to that view, as you said. And I think the shortest right. person had the biggest stool, the next person had a shorter one, and then the tall person, you know, didn't need one at all. So I think that was a really nice visual for me as a, as a sort of procurement guy coming to some of these topics with fresh eyes, um, a really a really nice um, visual. Um, so, so that sort of described it to me. I think what, what we're ultimately looking to do, and certainly around some of the initiatives we're carrying out around equality, it's kind of we don't get into too much detail about equity versus equality. A lot of the specifics of one of our initiatives is really looking to make sure that, like I say, large organizations have a huge potential impact in the world. When mm -hmm. you look at progress towards uh, gender equality, uh, the UN have it on sort of social lens, political lens, legal access, and, and then economic. It's economic that is miles off. It's economic particularly that's a long, long, long way off. Um, so what we've really looked at mm. is our our organizations, Logitech, other network partners, suppliers, et cetera, are they living up to the UN Women Empowerment Principles? You know, the, the UN Women Empowerment Principles are the basic fundamental principles around this is how you can develop uh, equal economic empowerment, uh, get, get that gender parity when it comes to economic empowerment. 
that's the sort of framework that, that we've used with Genderfair, our partner, our organisations living up to the UN Women Empowerment Principles. And, and some steps of it can be really simple. Like some of it's quite foundational. Some of it's around, do you have ERGs? Do you do philanthropy? Are your policies and processes um, family-friendly, gender-fair, etc.? And when I say simple, what I really mean by that, Tracy, I guess, is if you as an organisation and if your leaders care about these topics, you can decide that pretty quickly. If you and I are leaders of, of, of our own consulting group or whatever, we can be on a Zoom call and say, hey, Tracy, do you know, I really think we should have an ERG group for this. Okay, yeah, let's do that. That sounds great. Or same with policies and procedures. They're mm-hmm. really important. Um, the hardest one that you see most companies struggle with is women uh, representation in leadership positions, in board positions, etc. Right. Um, that takes a bit longer to get to. Um, but the secret is, I think, I would imagine if you looked at the numbers, if companies aren't doing the things I mentioned, the kind of easier foundational steps, ERGs, fair policies, uh, making sure it's a really sort of non-misogynistic, very, very open and, and, uh, and, and friendly company, et cetera, um, authentic company. If you're not doing that, you'll never get uh, equal representation at leadership. I think that's the foundational steps to get to that, to that leadership position. So, so certainly with gender fair, where a lot of companies struggle is that leadership representation um, points, but you won't, you'll never get to that unless you're doing some of the really important foundational work. Right. It's interesting. You know, one of the things I think we had initially spoken about when we first connected was this idea of, you know, what could be borrowed from the environmental cause. And I think of CSRs or corporate social responsibility efforts. Um, For those who don't know what CSR is, corporate social responsibility is typically when we see a company say, okay, we're going to commit to zero emissions or we're going to commit or, you know, we're going to commit to um, ensuring equal pay or whatever that is, right? Like, but most of the time I see it comes down to environmental causes, um, which is, I think, where we had initially discussed this point. What can, what, what takeaways are there from the environmental causes that we've seen over the last, I don't know, near 20 years since the environmental causes have become more of a focus? We, we thought about this a lot, actually, when, when we were sort of really deciding what can we do around equality and how can we have the most impact as Logitech, as me individually and, and as a procurement team. And I think that's a really important point that that when you look at a lot of topics around equality, um, a lot of them are what I'd call kind of floor level um, controls or measurements there. They're, they're sort of basic levels that you absolutely cannot go below this. They're a floor that you cannot go below. And they're really important, and they're absolutely something you should do, and they're around human rights and, and slavery in your supply chain, child labour, all those sort of mm. topics. And that's really yeah. important. You absolutely should be doing that. But if you just think about the simple maths of it, like we said earlier on in our chat, Tracy, we're seven years away from our SDG goals. We're miles off hitting them. Will making sure that we're not going below a really bad floor level, will doing that help us achieve the SDGs? And the obvious answer is no, because we, we need positive change. We, we, need, we need something a bit more aspirational than that. Mm-hmm. So, so I think when we were thinking about this, those floor metrics are really important. You can't forget those, of course, but we need something mm-hmm. more aspirational. We need these kind of bold ceiling levels that we want to burst through. And, and when you think about environment, a lot of companies... If you ask them, when are you planning to be net zero, they'll know the answer to that. Um, whether they follow through with it or not, it's another topic, but, but they'll know right. the answer to it. If you ask them, okay, when are you going to be gender equal? 
they won't have that same sort of they won't have that same immediate answer. So I think having an equality goal that's aspirational, which, which tallies nicely that you can't go below these floors, and we want you to be really reaching towards an aspirational goal. I think that's really important because we need aspirational action. Um, and then with that sort of aspirational goal, there's absolutely importance again, a bit like net zero, that everyone knows what that means. It's it's a united mm -hmm. goal. It becomes very common parlance between anyone in a network, departments in a company, suppliers, clients, whatever it might be. When are you going to be net zero? We need that same ambition around when are you going to be gender equal or when are you going to when are you going to be uh, have equity on various other angles of it. I think we need that aspirational element. So aspirational metrics and that collective sort of understanding towards we're all we're all aiming towards that same target um that's very common in the environmental cause it's less common in mm -hmm. inequality and i think it'd be really powerful if we did get better at having this kind of understood uh, aspirational goal for all of us yeah i totally agree i mean hey this is all great news for me to hear as a woman in business you know i've i have uh personally worked in some environments that leave a lot to be desired uh, for uh, equity and equality um, across all platforms, but luckily I'm not in that environment now. Um, however, you know, one of the things that I think, at least in the U.S., that can help are um, some of these pay transparency laws. And I think we're seeing this across the globe, of course, it's not just the U.S. that enacts pay transparency. But in specifically in the U.S., especially in California and New York, there's this requirement to publish salary ranges and that it has to be, you know, reasonable and a range that, you know, is, again, whatever reasonable means, but a range that folks can aspire to achieve at the top, um, but also don't fall below. And what's interesting is that in California specifically, they're requiring EEOC reporting, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission is requiring reporting by a demographic, gender, et cetera, with regard to pay as part of this law, which certainly can help. I always say that if it's not going to be the a company's, you know, values set, like Logitech, for example, that's driving progress yeah. forward, it's going to be regulation from the government. Um, and it's usually one or the other. So, you know, I'm really proud of what Logitech is doing to make these changes, especially considering the billions of dollars that we're talking about in influence that your company has. Now, with that said, what can, you know, if, if there's a listener today who's working for a business, let's say in, you know, midsize, maybe they have a thousand or so employees, maybe they're not this huge, you know, 8,000 or more employee sized company, how can they make the same type of difference? What kind of influence can they have, whether it's on the supply chain or even on their company internally? What can they do? Yeah, yeah. Now, great question, Tracy. I think the, the short single sentence answer to that, of course, is we can all do something. None of us can do everything, but all of us can do something. And, and ultimately, kind of in, what I was really trying to do for myself in my role in, in Logitech is what is my something? What is my something? What is Logitech something? Um, and everyone, I think, really needs to ask themselves that question. What, what is your own personal something around this cause? Maybe it's driven by your role, uh, your personal passions, or, or where, where your organization sits in a particular industry or vertical or whatever. And I think if, you answer, if I answer that question on behalf of Logitech and myself, I think when you, when you think, well, what is Logitech something? 
around all of these SGD causes, be it environment, quality, etc. It's um, it should be a relatively simple question to answer with a bit of thought, really. Uh, Logitech, we're consumer electronics, as you said. Um, when you look at environmental issues, I've just held it up there. Plastics is a really big topic for us. Uh, circularity of plastics, using using recycled plastic, etc. That's a really hot topic around our product, uh, as is the carbon impact of our product. So they're really big topics in environment. When you when you ask yourself, okay, around social topics, what is Logitech something? Where does that brand resonate? Where, where does where does what we do have a real impact? What, what topics can we really really try and make a difference on? And and if you think there, really ultimately we 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 can we we design and engineer consumer electronic hardware. Those designers and engineers are kind of the IP of our company. They're the intellectual property of Logitech. That's our DNA, really, as a design and engineering company. Um, STEM, I mean, you could say, Tracy, really, mm-hmm. I guess that, that's sort of screaming gender straight away, isn't it? That there's, that there's gender issues yeah. in STEM. Oh, yeah. Logitech as a tech company, speaking out about that can have a real resonance. Um, when you look at our verticals, gaming. Gaming is one of our biggest verticals. Gaming, again, has, has been a very gender unequal uh, industry ever since the sort of birth of modern console gaming. There's something, again, that our name can resonate there. Uh, digital inclusion is another topic for us. So I think they're all the sort of things that we really touch on. Uh, so whether you're a small, medium or large sized organization, whatever industry you're in, whether it's a geographical thing or wherever, ask yourselves, what is your something? And, and I think I would encourage all of your listeners to, to ask themselves that at their organization, um, in their role. And, and that's going to be slightly different for everyone. I think some of the social topics are, are very universal and we all need to work towards those. But, but everyone will have something that, 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 that comes out of that thought about where can my role in HR, finance, sales, whatever it might be, and my industry and organization, what's my something? Work that out and then go do it. I think it's probably the simple advice because, because the world needs that bold action right now. Yeah, I love that. I love that. It made me look down at a quote that I wrote from you when we first spoke, which was, make sure the impact on the world that we have is a good one. And exactly. it's true. I mean, that's there's no requirement in business size to make a great impact on the no. world or even to be a part of a business. Like you can make a great impact on the world as an individual. Exactly. Yeah. I think even on a personal level, you know, I've been very lucky, really. Like I grew up in a peaceful Western European country, had so many privileges, courtesy of my skin color, my gender, etc., And, and, you know, that's just, that's just the way it is. But I think the most important thing about how I how I live my life now, personally and in my professional career, is separate to all of that, really. It comes from the fab, it comes from the values that were instilled in me, comes from my sort of personal wish. And it's a bit like I was saying earlier on about you, you can find a positive impact in whatever role you do. I'm a procurement guy for a big company. That screams saving money for the man. And it kind of does do that. <laughs> but But you can do a lot of really good stuff too. And I think... When you do that, it can make your job so rewarding and, and ultimately, you know, aspiring to have that positive impact, leave the world a better place when you leave it than when you entered it, really. And, and all of us can do that, no matter what your, your role is or where you live or, or whatever you do. I, I think we can all do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. And, you know, as you were sharing, it made me think about 
what date I told you this podcast episode was going to come out. And now I'm thinking we should put this out on Equal Pay Day, which is March 14th. And it happens to be a Tuesday, which is when my episodes go out. So I think I'm going to bump this episode right up. Yeah, I think I'm bumping, bumping it up from June. Um, Let's which is great. And yeah, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm going to go for it. So we can, you know, considering the frame of reference that we've been discussing these topics in, I think it makes a ton of sense. I mean, equal pay day, everyone talks about it, right? I, I think about last equal pay day. Um, and I like, you know, candidly speaking as a podcaster, as a, I hate to say this, this makes me nauseous, but thought leader in the HR space, um, whatever that is, HR influencer, whatever you want to say, I really don't go for the gimmicky posts. Like it's, for example, I have a newsletter. It's Black History Month right now. This is when we're recording. And I talked about how Black History Month, like what it makes me think about and how I am impacted by the understanding of what Black History Month is meant to represent. And I don't post that on LinkedIn. And I, I'm sure that there are some people who are like, well, you know, why isn't Tracy posting during all of these awareness months or, you know, things like that. And yeah. it's not that it's not because I don't care about it. It's because I don't want to contribute to a gimmicky discussion about, you know, an awareness month, for example, equal pay day, March 14th, last year, all of these posts, it was amazing. All of these posts on LinkedIn, everything, equal pay day, celebrate equal pay day, make sure, you know, that there's gender equality. And yet like the following week, there was a, an article about businesses who had been sued by women in their companies for not having, you know, fair pay compared to their male counterparts. Just, you know, very yeah. um, generally speaking, because I don't remember which company it was. But and then I thought, like, what good is it to post about these things if we're not taking action? And so that's where, like, these episodes are where I'm like, you know, I'm putting words to the mic. This is the action that I can have. This is the contribution that I can have rather than having this gimmicky post that doesn't feel authentic to who I am or what this podcast represents. So this is yeah. definitely going to be an equal payday podcast. I mean, it's a great Thank example you. of how, yeah, it's a great example of how, you know, talking about something versus acting on it and using yeah. a, a, a wallet that has billions of dollars in it, like Logitech's, yeah. um, can really influence really things. Isn't it? And I think that's really interesting and it's kind of the unspoken kind of flip side of what I was talking about earlier on about at the moment, and I use that phrase carefully, at the moment, the Edelman research is telling us that consumers trust corporations more than any other any other institution. And that's that's quite surprising. But, you know, that trust, that trust is probably fragile and and yeah. woe betide any company that is doing something that isn't authentic or is greenwashing or pinkwashing or any other kind yeah. of washing. I think, you know, it's re it's great that there is that trust there. I think it's great that consumers are saying, we will support you if you are doing great things around this. That is all fantastic, but do make sure it's authentic. If your company is remote or hybrid, then you know just how difficult it can be to grow your company's culture beyond a pre-scheduled Zoom happy hour or occasional lunch and learn. Well, this week's sponsor is here to solve that. They're called CultureBot. CultureBot has devised what will likely become the gold standard for growing and blossoming a company culture inside of Slack. 
The app is like a sidekick for any HR or people professional, automating a lot of the mundane tasks you probably are forgetting to do on a daily basis. Things like birthday and work anniversary celebrations, team shout outs and kudos, employee introductions and remote games. It even has health and wellness tips and conversation starters. If that piques your interest, this will get you even more excited. Today, I'm able to share a special promotion for listeners of the podcast. You can get your first six months of CultureBot for 50% off. Plus, if your team is under 25 employees, CultureBot is free forever. So if you're looking for a way to create a culture of appreciation and drive increased engagement and togetherness across your team, I definitely recommend checking out CultureBot. Go to getculturebot.com slash humanhr. That's getculturebot.com slash humanhr to get the offer. Plus, I've added the link in the show notes, so you can just click right there. Now, let's get back to the podcast. Do make yeah. sure it's action-based, because otherwise that trust, <laughs> that trust is yeah. going to disappear. Oh, in the you are right. It's very fragile. It's like, it's the trust is almost like um, a sheet of like, I don't know, ice. Like a thin, yeah. not the kind of yeah. ice you can walk across a lake on, but like a thin sheet of ice that, you know, that cracking sound that it makes when you, yeah. I'm clearly very yeah. stuck in winter here, but the cracking sound that it makes <laughs> when you step on it. But like, I actually, I think that it kind of makes sense that people overall are trusting corporations because when we see the trust broken, it's like this unbelievable feeling that, that is out there of like, how could this happen? How could my, my favorite company be this way? Like, actually, yeah. we saw this with Balenciaga. People trusted Balenciaga as this ultra luxury brand. And then they came out with like child abuse, um, you know, graphics. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm not going to link it. You can look it up. I, I'm not giving them any more clicks. But, you know, this whole thing came out a few months ago about this and people were up in arms. And so it's interesting that you know, there's this, it's like a dichotomy. People have all this trust in companies, but then also it's like, why do they have all this trust in companies? If they're not actually seeing the action, we should first see the, we should, you know, trust that there will be action, expect some action. Yeah. And then if there isn't not be so shocked. Yeah. 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 No, I think exactly. And, and one other finding actually from this research was I said, corporations were the most trusted quote unquote, and they were relatively, but when you look at it, the level of trust in corporations was still pretty low. <laughs> like I, I think the, the, the wider finding is that consumers aren't massively trusting of anything that's out there now, media, governments, NGOs. There's a, there's a, and this is a worrying thing for society, really, but the, the level of trust is quite low. But, but I think the really powerful thing, and I, I say this a little time, I mean, you know, over the last 20 years or so, the, the, there's, been, there's been from, from sort of grouchy old, commentators there's a lot of sort of uh, much maligned sort of gen 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 uh, z's and millennials and mm -hmm. myself i'm a very i'm a very young gen x i'm slightly too old for the millennials so i'm kind of a young gen x <laughs> some and people think, would say you're an elder millennial potentially uh, elder millennial i'll go with, <laughs> i'm not sure i like the sound of that either i'd rather, <laughs> be young, I'd rather put young in my title <laughs> yeah. but my point is my point is i think those generations really have made a difference that that it's been spoken about quite a while, about CSR, as you said it, and it's important that companies do the right thing. It's been spoken about, but then I've always worried that the connection between that and where consumers are spending their dollars was a loose one. In fairness to the Gen Zs as consumers and now entering the workforce, millennials are entering management and leadership. Those generations in, in a sort of broad stereotype really do follow through with that, like you said. And I think that's um that's almost going to be good for kind of keeping those organizations to account that 
Woe mm-hmm. betide you greenwash or pinkwash. Woe betide you even look like you're being inauthentic because they will go somewhere else. I, I think I think 20 years ago, mm-hmm. we might have said that, but still, oh yeah, I still have to go to company yeah. XYZ. Whereas nowadays, mm-hmm. I think it will actually happen. They will stop supporting you. They will not work for you. And, and so those generations, they're inheriting the world from Gen Xs, but they're also changing it for yes. Gen Xs actually at the same time. Yes. I was just speaking with a podcast guest. I don't know if the episode will be before or after ours, but I was just speaking with, with this person about how incredible Gen Z is at actually being transformational because there's this like unequivocal sense of, oh, you're not going to meet the expectations that I have or align, you know, our values aren't aligned. I'm out. And there's like no fear. There's no fear in leaving a job without having a job lined up, which I have never felt in my life. So I really (laughs) wonder what freedom feels like because I am totally not free of my own fears in that way. Like, I think it's so incredible. This is officially a Gen Z stand podcast, I think, because I keep talking about how amazing they are at creating high quality expectations for their employers and for businesses. And I have also, on the other side of things, on this podcast, talked about how we have to cancel cancel culture. A huge part of making change is having discussions, even if we're not happy with the opinion of the other person or, you know, we feel attacked. Like we have to be able to speak and we have to be able to have discourse. Um, And so we can't just like cut a company off. And that said, with with the exception of Balenciaga, that's where I draw the line um, when it comes to kids in that way. But, you know, at the end of the day, if people and consumers say to businesses, nope, you broke our trust. We expect you to provide, you know, to, to procure your, your equipment or whatever, your products from black suppliers, from women, from, uh, or women businesses, from black businesses, from businesses that are com- contributing to gender fairness and gender equality, then you know, or otherwise we're, we're out, we're not buying from you, then a business should be like, oh, well, you know, thank you for raising this point. Let's make some changes and let's show how we've made those changes. It's when businesses say, oh, we're so sorry. We're going to release this statement because we don't want our profits to be hurt. And then nothing happens that we really see this issue. So I think it, it, all of this to say that coming back to this, this point that you made before that if you were to ask someone, a leader in business, what their gender equality deadline is compared to like their net zero deadline, that they, you know, it, once they start to be able to say what that due date is, then yeah. we're actually really focused on action. Even if companies don't hit their net zero target by 2030 or 2040, if they're actively working toward it, that's worth just as much. And it's worth yeah. a whole lot more than a company that's like, thank you for letting us know, and then does nothing about it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I agree with all of that. And I think on gender equality specifically, I've spoken about this quite a bit uh, in the last sort of six months or so. And there's also a, a sort of a miscomprehension that is gender equality even still a thing? I, th- I thought we've kind of solved gender equality, haven't we? But but, you know, the answer is absolutely not, and particularly absolutely not when it comes to economic um, empowerment. And, and it's really interesting. Like one, one example I saw recently, Iceland, out of all the countries that's closest to gender equality, Iceland, according to the World Economic Forum, Iceland is the closest. And, and what's really interesting there, they have some 
some rules around paternity leave, new dads and the leave you can take when you've got a child. And it's exactly the same as, as the leave the mother can take. It's, it's kind of six that's months wonderful. or nine months or, or, or whatever it might be. And, and that's amazing. The really interesting thing is that in, in recent years, I think, I think it's true to say I could have that access in Ireland too. That exists in Ireland as well. But, and this is the big but, what happens in Iceland is that it's societally expected that the dad will take that six to nine months off. I have access to it. Whether I want to take it or not is debatable, but I have access to it. But what would certainly not happen is if I rocked up at work a few weeks later, no one would look at me and say, haven't you got a three-week-old kid? What, what, the, hell, what the hell are you doing here? Mm -hmm. In Iceland, it's got to that societal level of, I don't want to see you here for the next six months. Do not, do not come in. This is, you know, what are you doing? Your, your, your job is there. So I think that's the sort of holy grail, really. Policies and procedures and et cetera, et cetera. But Iceland have that societal pressure and, and, you know, that's where it really starts to make a difference. That sort of expected behavior. I'm packing my bags and I'm moving to Iceland and I've been <laughs> trying to go to Iceland for a vacation recently. Oh. And uh, I'm going to have to tell my husband this. Cool He's going to be like, Say, uh, come again. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I've been there. I've been there before. Never mind all of that stuff, which is amazing. <laughs> it's also a great country. So yeah, go, go, go. That's what I hear. <laughs> That's, what, That's I what I hear. I'm going to go. I'm going to, I'll send you a picture when I see uh, the Aurora Borealis. Um, but <laughs> on this note, you're so right. The societal pressure and the societal expectations, maybe it's not the pressure, but the expectation and the standard is so critical. When you were saying this, I was thinking about what the societal standard is in the U.S. for men and women or, you know, mothers and fathers. And actually, even mothers are, are put in, working mothers, I should say, are put in a situation where they're expected to return as soon as possible. There is no, like, you know... For example, FMLA, which is a federally, uh, it's a federal regulation for job protected leave, says you get 12 weeks if you and your company are eligible. And company eligibility means that you have to have 50 or more employees within a 75 mile radius. And there are some other things, right? And you have had to work at a company for um, a, like a year earning 1,250 hours, like all of these other eligibility parameters. So companies say, oh, we're not eligible for FMLA. Sorry, we don't have anything. You're going to have to go on a leave of absence or, you know, kind of figure it out and we'll see you back in eight weeks. If a woman has a, a cesarean section, the eight weeks are the exact recovery time. What if she goes out early? I mean, it's literally yeah. there's there's pressure from the U.S. For, for women, for mothers not to even continue to be in the workforce. So if we're really talking about gender equality, we kind of have to start with how we treat our parents. And I have done an episode, a couple episodes on this, which I'll link in the show notes for uh, listeners to, to take a listen to if they haven't yet. But it's really, I, this just dawned on me that Iceland is clearly doing something right if they're focusing on their fathers, because that means that the mothers already are, have some kind of protection and um, expectation to put their family and their new child ahead of yeah. the business demand. I think that's amazing. Yeah. And to that exact point, that's like, like we were talking about earlier on, Tracy, that with the um, with this gender fair work we're doing and we're assessing comp uh, companies we work with, a lot of it, simple is probably the wrong word, but a lot of it, leaders can change pretty quickly if they want to. If right. you and I are the leaders of an organization, 
if we decide that, you know what, we're really not very good with our policy around leave, we're not really not very good with policy around X, Y, Z, we can change that really quickly. And and I think it's um, that's the same idea as Iceland. If more and more organisations do that, then, then you know, you're not, you're, people aren't going to go and work for companies that aren't doing it. It's a bit like that Show the Leave campaign that was that started recently. And yes, yes, another aspect. that was with I the think, skim. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it's companies that talk about this. It's companies that really make a point of we are being we are being fair. That's when when you can start to move the dial. And I think it, it's true on a con- country level with Iceland, but it's also true on an organisational level. And and high high level behind that, like you said having this question around, okay, yeah, you're going to be net zero by 2030. That's cool. When are you going to be gender equal or when are you going to be whatever else? If you start asking those questions as a, as a client of a company or as anything, I mean, you know, as a, as a, as a thought leader, as you said, or wherever you are, (laughs) if you start making that a common sort of thought process, you can bet your bottom dollar that companies will start thinking, do you know what? We're really not actually very gender fair around this. or we're really not very, open to other underrepresented groups etc we need to look at this i think it's it needs that catalyst which is the when are you going to be gender fair when are you going to be uh net zero or, or whatever other whatever else it might be that that conversation needs to start absolutely i feel so inspired by this conversation because although i am a woman and i'm obviously affected in different ways by being in the workforce and seeing all these conversations around equality and pay and all these things, I kind of am also like, well, I can do my due diligence to make sure I'm negotiating and I know what salary I, you know, expect and things like that. And I kind of, I I try and I, it's not to say there's like a card to play, but I really, because there isn't, there should be an expectation around equality. So I'm not saying that this is like someone playing a card if they're talking about this, by no means am I saying that, but I really try not to bring it up so much in discussion, but actually one of the best ways that women in business can influence the trajectory of their business's decisions is by talking about the impact that they've had in the workplace. So actually I've been thinking about this kind of in a, in an ass backwards kind of way, so to speak, I'll make this episode a little explicit, but um, you know, the, the reality is, is that if I were to go to my company and say, Hey, I want to have children one day. This leave isn't going to cut it. Just as an example, this is not a real life thing, but you know, as an example, I want to have 16 weeks of leave. Anything less than that is totally asinine. Then, and a company leader's like, whoa, wait, um, I'm not sure I agree. Why do you feel this way? Then you're having a discussion, right? You're having a discussion yeah. about something that otherwise wouldn't have happened. And similarly with procurement, if you're in a role like yourself, head of procurement, and you're like, wait a second, why aren't we focused on on bringing suppliers to the to the fold who are black owned, who are women owned, who are committed to gender fair, the gender fair coalition or other things connected to the UN? Why aren't we doing that? We should be like it's through yeah. the conversation where changes can yeah. happen. So I'm really inspired by this. Do you know what would be more amazing than what you just said would be if a prospective dad went to their company leadership and said, hey, yeah. I want to be a dad sometime soon. <laughs> This right. leave is a, that that would I mean that that would you know shift the paradigm completely, wouldn't it? About the um, yes, about if, if it was a man raising that topic. Yes, we. You know what? This is there's a whole idea I have here now about like like where are the dads? Let's find the dads, find the 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 
guys, the people who want to be dads one day, who are have always wanted kids because it's not just just mothers or prospective mothers who have always wanted kids. There are there are people out there who have always wanted kids regardless of their gender. Let's have like there should be conversations around that. How are how are businesses providing support? Even you know, infertility benefits are a huge miss with companies. There's a guest that I'm going to yeah. have on later this year who is really focused on this, but I mean, you mo I would say probably 8 out of 10 people do not have access to infertility benefits, whether regardless of their gender. Um because infertility does not just is not just placed on the woman or the prospective mother. So there are so many there are so many avenues where if someone of the opposite gender, a, pers- a prospective father jumps into the conversation and says, yeah, I don't want just six weeks. I don't want just eight weeks. I want to actually see my kid like hit these milestones and grow up so that I can be part of their lives in a different way. I mean, if we have changed, if we've been able to change business this far by saying we demand remote work and flexibility and whatever yeah. else, we can demand that. We can expect that. Yeah. I think exactly. And it goes back to that sort of point about we can all do something. And I think my own experiences around looking to drive drive the sort of gender equality um, progress with our procurement spend, it's quite often I've been asked questions about, well, you're a privileged middle-aged white guy. <laughs> Why are you looking to drive forward gender equality? Do you have any daughters? Or <laughs> what are you looking for? <laughs> I don't. I have, three, I have three sons. And and I think, you know, I get why people are thinking like that. But mm-hmm. it's um, all too often with these topics uh, on gender. And I saw some content recently around um, looking to get more, more minority representation in certain professions. Mm-hmm. And there's almost this human nature angle of, you know, what can I do to help that? I'm a, I'm a privileged white guy. What can I do to help gender equality? What can I do to help? Uh, other minorities or, or underrepresented groups it's kind of a redundant question because we can all do something and and everything being equal a, privil- a privileged middle-aged white guy can probably do way more than most people can to, to progress these causes yes. the, the, the idea of but why are you doing it because you're a man you're in you've got three boys you haven't even got these daughters it's it's kind of a weird it's kind of a weird line of questioning really it is and you know what it makes me think about how exhausting it is when you are that minority group or that underrepresented group and you have to be the one to fight for change it's this is the same um discussion that we have um with colleagues who are black or brown and they're like well i don't want to be the one to explain to you why i feel this way or how i you know how this impacts me and they're right yeah yeah it's the exact same thing as a as a woman i don't want to be the one to have to make the change i want i it would be great if a middle-aged white man was like, we have to make this change. I have so many friends who are pregnant or trying to get pregnant and they do either do not have access to leave because they're not FMLA eligible or their company is not, or where their husbands are not um, access, uh, don't have access, excuse me, to leave. And anytime they call me on the phone or they tell me this, I'm absolutely horrified that these that my friends who are women in these instances are not able to have peace of mind when it comes to either starting their family or beginning the process to start their family and same for for their husbands so i think this is now a david latin stan account as well because i think it is fabulous that you are the person impacting or working to impact these changes because if it's not coming from you 
then it's falling on those who are tired and just don't want to fight the good fight anymore. Yeah, yeah. Do you know a really big practical example of that? And I, I found this very surprising. Uh, Logitech work with UN women as part of their generation equality campaign. That's their flagship campaign to drive forward to try and get to that equality by 2030. We, we work with we're, we're commitment makers to their campaign there. They did an event in New York around the UN uh, General Assembly week. Um, and they were looking for speakers and they were really keen for Bracken Durrell, our, our CEO, to speak at that. And he, he was really excited about it too, but his travel plans were just hectic. And it was at one point I was worried that he wouldn't be able to make it. And I was sort of saying to the team at UN Women, you know, we're really trying to get it sorted, but we're not sure he can make it. And and they were really disappointed. And what they hopefully they don't mind me sharing this, but what they said to me was, we're really excited to have Bracken speak at our event because bearing in mind this is UN women. This isn't Tracy mm-hmm. and David's consulting, as I mentioned. This is UN women. A yeah, serious, it's major. Well-known global uh, institution. UN women said to me, we're really excited to have Bracken speak because we've never had a white male tech CEO talk about gender at one of our events. UN women said that. <laughs> That's which amazing. is gobsmacking, really. Now, thankfully, wow. he could make it, and it was great and everything. But what was amazing to me was that UN women said that, that we haven't had a white male tech CEO talk about gender. Um, it's amazing now, and now concerning all at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. Wow. Well, he should be really proud of himself for being, you know, a leader in this space in having the discussions that have to happen and making the changes that have to happen. And again, it's, you know, everyone can talk about what they're going to do, but not everyone actually does something. Like everyone, everyone talks about that they want to start a podcast, but not everyone does it. Everyone says that they want to continue their podcast and not everyone does. Right. So it's, you know, whatever way that we want to look at this, we can, we can justify and reason and understand um, logically what this looks like, but it sounds like Logitech is doing an incredible job of really putting their money where it matters. Um, And money, I mean, listen, it's money that makes the change. Like any people... People can say that it's other stuff and that certainly contributes that, you know, compassion and consideration contributes and makes it feel even better. But it's really money that influences the way the world works. Yeah, yeah. No, that's exactly it, Tracy. And, that, and that's kind of the big idea, really, that that we've had a great conversation about a whole load of different topics without having, I've, I've, I've been speaking about something. I, I don't think I've even really told anyone what Logitech something is yet or 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 what my procurement something is anyway. And and it's exactly that. I think what procurement teams have ultimately for those that aren't in procurement is where this really interesting pivot point between the internal teams, what they need, their strategies, and then the external solution providers, you know, suppliers essentially. And, and from that pivot point, we have a huge amount of influence. Essentially, we're talking with these suppliers that we may well spend millions of dollars with. And, and we've always used that influence to get kind of the best suppliers we can work with to give us really good performance, really good partnership and the right price. Like I said, I mean, you know, of course we do that. And, and that's okay. the influence we have it, the bedrock of procurement. And I think the simple big idea is what if we really use that influence to drive forward equality? I think procurement has driven forward equality for many years. The, the traditional answer to it is supplier diversity, as you mentioned earlier, that you try and work with as many small minority-owned, women-owned, other other underrepresented groups as possible. That's fantastic, but you'll never get all of your spend to be that. Large companies have a tendency to spend big with other large companies. 
Supplier diversity struggles to impact them. My something or what we're trying to make a, a more global something is, yeah, when you're a big business and you're spending millions with another big business, ask them, well, how fair are you? How diverse are you? How, how gender equal are you? And, right. and, you know, they will listen when, 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 a, when, a, when a client asks that. They listen to me to a point, And this is the thing, I guess, you know, that's what we're doing. The whole coalition idea comes from there's only so much impact Logitech have. Some suppliers may not pick up the phone. Others might sort of do the math and think, yeah, do you know what? We're not really keen on doing this. It's okay to maybe ruffle Logitech's feathers. We might get away with that. But what wouldn't happen is if there were another 10 or 15 Davids that were asking that same question. Hey, before we spend a few million dollars with you, we want to make sure that you're taking this gender fair assessment. If there was this breadth of impact, like there are more and more companies asking that question, and, and perhaps even more excitingly, that depth of impact. When I say depth, I mean, if six companies were asking the same company, hey, guys, we want you to take this assessment, they will not say no, that they will absolutely have to take it. You're getting to that point of making it a requirement. And, and that's the big idea, really, I guess, that trying try to sort of amplify Logitech something and my procurement something within Logitech trying to amplify that to its biggest possible impact is there's lots of things that happen as standard in procurement. Large organizations ask other large organizations lots of questions, contractual legal stuff, data compliance, privacy, data security, and that's all really important. What we don't ask as a default is, are you living up to the UN Women Empowerment Principles? Are you gender fair? Ultimately, we want to make that a standard, and, and then that's how you can unlock that power. Like you say, I mean, Logitech, we have we have, you know, a lot of supplier spend relative to some other companies, but we're not a massive multinational. But if you had 25 big companies saying, we're not going to work with you unless you take this assessment. But not only that, put in, put in place a plan to improve each year. Mm-hmm. The impact you can have there is extraordinary. I mean, I, I work closely with our, with our internal uh, community and advocacy DEI team. And, and, you know, in a way, I'm trying to sort of progress some of our own values externally. And I think that's the huge power of it, isn't it? That the yeah. internal policies, you can do wonderful things with your employees, but you soon hit a ceiling of we only have 10 employees or 100 or 5,000 <laughs> right. or whatever it might be. If you can influence the whole ecosystem, the impact you can have there is enormous. So <laughs> if I allow myself Absolutely. a bold aim, that, that's what we're trying to do. I think it's amazing. I think it's amazing. And I could truly speak to you about this for hours and I have to stop myself because otherwise I will. And I mean, I, I'm really, like I said, I'm super, super inspired by what you're doing, what Logitech is committed to, the big idea um, and this whole conversation. And I'm really glad that we are releasing this on Equal Pay Day because it just is so fitting. And on top of that, I, I think that if a company like Logitech has committed to, you know, making these changes or, you know, inspiring these, um, the way forward or the standard, then it's just a matter of time, hopefully, until other companies realize that if they don't do the same thing, they're going to lose market share. And that's, yeah. that's what it has yeah. to come down to. So I really appreciate everything that you're doing and that your colleagues are doing to make the world a better place and have an, a, a good impact on the world one step at a time. And with that, I'd love for you to share with the listeners who are hopefully equally as inspired by your, your insights, where they can reach out to you if they want to learn more. Sure. Yeah. No, I'll, I'll be greedy for a moment, Tracy, and I'll do that, <laughs> but I'll, I suppose 
to not I, like big ideas can be scary in terms of where do you start and i think the critical mm -hmm. thing i'd love people to think about is everyone can do something as i say what is your something think about that really think about it in terms of you and your organization go to your leadership with it and and then critically just do it it, it could be a small thing could be a big thing whatever it could be just do it um, that's that's all and, and if it's around similar topics that we're doing then absolutely i'd love to to connect with any any and all of you if 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 that's if that's something you can do then you can get me at linkedin um, there's actually a landing page for the coalition for gender fair procurement we've launched genderfairprocurement.com i guess we'll share the link as well please mm -hmm. do reach out there you'll you'll reach the coalition team but i think more broadly than that what is your something go do it um, if it is progressing gender particularly by your procurement spend, then we'd, we'd love to have as many allies doing this as possible. Reach out to me on LinkedIn or, or that coalition website, like I say. But, but more broader than that, we can all do, we all have to do something, frankly, but we all can do something. What is your something? That's all I'd encourage people to really think. And, and if, it, if it aligns with, with where my team and I are going, then I'd love to talk to all of you. Thank you so much, David, for all of that and, and for being on the podcast. I'm sure we'll continue the conversation, hopefully. <laughs> no, thanks, Tracy. Real pleasure to be here. And um, yeah, thank you for uh, speeding up the release. That's uh, really appreciated. Oh, yeah. It's a perfect time. Who needs June when we've got Equal Pay Day coming up? Yeah, and we need, we need action. We need, we need action now, not in, not in June, too. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. I should just release this tonight. I'm, I'm ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, I, that, that sounded like a procurement negotiation, but it, but it wasn't really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. We can we can pretend. We can pretend. Um, but no, seriously, David, thank you so much. And we'll have to have you back on one day. No, thank you, Tracy. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Hey, just before you go, don't forget to subscribe to the show so that you are the first to hear when an episode drops each week. And maybe leave a five-star review and a comment about how much you loved this episode. Plus, if you have someone in mind who would really enjoy this episode, make sure you share it with them. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I'll see you next week.